Hello. 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 This is weird. Yes, it is. So, welcome back to A Drunk History of Middle Earth. I'm Chris. I'm joined by my lovely wife, Rebecca. And today, we've got our first guest on the show. Yeah, we've got exciting. the, the lovely exciting. Alex Pointy Aid from the Fellowship of Readers. Alex, do you want to say hello? Hello, I'm Alex, and I am honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's crazy. It's been. Um, it feels like uh, it's been ages in the making, but it also feels like no time at all. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like, do you want to be on the podcast? I think we could talk about it, about Feanor. Right. It was just a mere blink in the eye of an elf anyway. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. So for those of you who aren't familiar, you might have heard me refer to a book club where we work our way through certain Tolkien tomes and we also talk about the the fact the legendarium, and we talk about the lore and the fandom and what have you. Now, Alex is the one who actually started this. So, Alex, do you want to tell the people a little bit about the Fellowship of Readers? Uh, right, of course. Well, the Fellowship of the Readers is our amazing book club that we have, where we read and talk about talking together in a way. Um, as I always intended it to be, which is fun and just relaxed atmosphere. It all started as just one read-along. I started the server um, to read the Silmarillion with the people, and I never expected that it would actually still be going so strong over one year later, um, which makes me incredibly happy and honored that I can still be sharing my love for talking with so many amazing people. The, the server, the, the the membership has exploded recently, hasn't it? I think so, yeah. With our new read-along, uh, we're actually about to have our first discussion of the fall of Numenor tomorrow on a Sunday. So yeah, it turned out that quite a lot of people were interested in reading the fall of Numenor together, which someone suggested uh, that perhaps it's because of Rings of Power, which kind of boosted the popularity of that topic, which is great. I'm very happy and excited to see all the new members and to once again chat with the older members it's gonna be lovely because <laughs> it was one thing as i had mentioned was i'd said like i wonder how many people were gonna to have to say no 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 that's not really how that happened the show mm-hmm. has portrayed it like that but it actually it was like the, uh, and i say actually like this and i'm doing it again where i'm treating it as if it's fact and it actually happened and it's not <laughs> <Actually>. all fiction <laughs> yeah actually nice to get other people's um perspective new people with fresh eyes because I think sometimes I bring up things. Yeah, how many times you've brought things up or, and, and or you've had a perspective like on earlier episodes. Some very amazing points, I can confirm. Yeah, um, yeah, but like there's been, there's been things and that was the whole point is when we started this podcast, it was kind of like she'd approach it with kind of fresh eyes. Like we, like you and I, especially Alex, we've been around Tolkien for so long or you, you, when you go deep, you go fucking balls deep. Yeah, I was there, Gandalf. 4,000 years ago. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And you go mental, and then Becca looks at him was like, and, and then completely differently is like, oh, well, actually, what about this? Like, I think um, I was almost offended the first time you, you watched the films, and you were like, Gandalf's a prick. And I was like, but he's an angel. He's a Maya. Like, he's an angelic being, an ancient primordial <laughs> spirit. He's like, no, nah, he's a... <laughs> yeah, and then she's like, no, nah, he's a grumpy bastard. And that's yeah. not me being a, a typical wife wanting to press the buttons. I mean, I, I totally love pressing Chris's buttons. Um, but it is definitely nice to rile you up mm. about something you're very passionate about. Mm-hmm. But Speaking of give you a different perspective. Yeah, no, speaking of riling up passionate people, today, if you haven't guessed from the the episode title, 
we're going to talk about Feyenoord. Yay. No. <laughs> we, we come at this from don't you haven't made your mind up yet you Rick's don't make those woo woos yeah fuck me all right she's already made her mind up right you're outnumbered okay so the original conception for this the, the, the original idea that i conceived for this episode and what i contacted alex about was that we've talked about the facts and unfortunately my bias has bled through but we talked about the facts to do with feanor in his role within the flight of the noldor and the noldor people in general we covered from his birth up to his death. However, what we haven't really done that much of on this show, which is why I'm excited to have Alex here, is we haven't done what I'd consider a great deal of analysis. We've not really went into, well, are, are those events justified? Like, is that person justified for doing that? I've kind of said, he's been a bit of a prick, and then I've kind of moved on, mm-hmm. because I'm covering it from a, a, an events point of view. So what we're going to do today, and I'm already at a massive disadvantage, I, I realise, is we're going to talk about Feyenoord, we're going to talk about his, his actions, him as a person, perhaps some of the influences that I want to talk about, right? and his role in everything that happened in Middle-earth. And we're going to see if between the three of us we can come to a decision on Feanor. Uh-huh. Is he good or bad? And what right. good or bad means. Is everyone cool with that? Everyone's yeah. cool with that. Let's do right. this. And Alex, you're Obviously, we we don't roll like that, so you're not involved in our relationship. But don't take anything said to heart. <laughs> it's probably I was. Thank you for the warning. <laughs> is um, yeah, there are things that get cut out in the edit that would break lesser relationships. Oh, yeah, we we bicker, but it's because um, we're both very passionate people. No, don't. That's what people on Jeremy Carl used to say. Like, no, no, no. He beats me because he loves. We're very passionate. Huh? Just and like Feanor. Just a yeah. passionate guy. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Exactly. So that's why like, I see bits of Chris in Feanor. That's so weird because I see, I see bits of Feanor in you. Right, okay. So that explains it. We're both very passionate people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't agree on things. And that is absolutely fine. Because, you know, well, yeah, except you don't it, have to yeah. agree on the same things in a marriage. You just scowl at each other across the room and say, agree to disagree. Okay. Well, how do you and your husband handle things like that, Alex? Like, what do you, when you argue, how, how, what's your conflict resolution? Oof, that's a good question. <laughs> that's I think a whole depends. different podcast. Well, do you just go really quiet and be like, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> and then just, just, don't, no, 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 I've not put anything in it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'm not trying to be to unleash my inner fan or whenever you know there is an argument between us. We're just always trying to peacefully reach you know an agreement, even if through disagreeing, um, yeah, on something you know. I think and that I think happens that's, in every marriage. That's really. the beauty. <laughs> yeah, it's the beauty of Tolkien is that it's it's real life. That's how it, it's so immersive. His yeah. world. Because it's it's real life, people can identify in a lot of situations mm-hmm. and learn oh, from, yeah. from yeah, the characters in their like, hamasha. That made me think. Yeah. Uh, whenever you guys were talking about uh, you know Finway and his the sort of let's say the divorce and I don't know remarriage. Well, not really divorce. Maybe was bad, but remarriage and how different people can you know interpret this particular situation depending on their own life situation whether they are you know they they lost a spouse or if they are like children of divorce like i think everyone sort of brings their own package into 
uh, reading, talking, and everyone can yeah find something really relatable and something that speaks to them. Cra- crazy is I've said this. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before when we, when we've been talking. I look at Feanor completely. I still think he's a wanker, but <laughs> I look at him completely differently. If I look at him as a child of a father, mm-hmm. and and I know you might people might listen and be like, "Well, Chris, everyone's a fucking child of a father, dickhead." But as a father, and I look at some of the things that happened to Feanor, and one of them is actually a point I'm going to come on to in a, in a bit when we start talking about it. I do look at it through the eyes of a parent would look at a child. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to, to not not to not to have pity, but to have empathy, is to understand mm-hmm. you shouldn't have did that, but I understand why you might have did that. Yeah, no, absolutely. There was actually yeah, a bit about it. Right, so, should we get into it? Should we talk a bit about Feanor? Absolutely. Hell yeah, right. So, just for anyone who... <laughs> I was going to say anyone who's got this far. We're only about fucking ten minutes in. You better have got this far, you ADHD fucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, for anyone listening, right, we're gonna, we talked a little bit about the book club. We're going to talk more about that at the end. We're going to tell you about how you can find us, how you can come and join us. Also, going to talk a little bit more about the Tolkien fandom towards the end because there's, there's things I want to ask Alex about that because mm-hmm. uh, she wasn't joking when she said she was there 3,000 years ago I was Alex has uh, been around for I a while the in the Tolkien fandom <laughs> I've seen she, things she's, uh, <laughs> she, she was one of the people left alive from the Heaven's Gate cult and they were like you need to tell our story so that's what the people from <laughs> Tumblr did before they all committed suicide they said to Alex we're going to let you go so you can tell people on Discord what Tumblr was like yeah and that's how she survived the the Tumblr exodus. <laughs> and then we're we're we're, we're going to wrap it up at the end, right? <laughs> Rebecca, can you tell me and Alex about Feanor, please, as if we've never heard of him before? Yeah. Oh no, who is this guy? Sounds so, crazy. Yeah, a tad crazy, <laughs> but you know, goes straight for his cause. He's very passionate. He knows exactly what he wants, and that is what every woman wants to have in a man. Okay. Except there, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except his wife. <laughs> so, Feanor made the Silmarils. Yeah. From the light of the trees. He captured the light of the trees, yeah. Yeah. Um, Feanor, one of the sons of uh, Finarfin. Oh, Finarfin's his brother. Um, Finway. Finway. They're all Finns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't worry if you don't get that because as um, a novice, I still am trying to remember. No points taken for not getting the Finns. All the Finns all are the involved. Finns. Yeah. So <laughs> he is the first son by a marriage and he, his father. So during his birth, his mother dies because... He takes most of her spirit, energy. Mm-hmm. She dies during childbirth and her husband, so she goes off. Her husband is then left behind and he remarries. Yeah. And he has a lot of lovely children. That's that's not, you know, beat around the bush. He, lovely children. He fucks. And then, <laughs> I'm trying to be polite, okay? We've got a guest on. <laughs> so then he has that resentment of the other children mm-hmm. of this new marriage. He's incredibly skilled. He's a great craftsman. 
And he goes on to make the Silmarils. Yeah. As I said, they capture the light of the trees and the energy and the power that they hold. He also, I'm just trying to, I'm very slow right now because I'm trying to, I'm trying to go back. You're doing to, really well. To capture it. You're doing okay. really well. You're yeah, you are. So he is misled by what he did. Right now, he's Melkor. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. But he actually he becomes Morgoth. Just ignore my face. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you guys can't see the face, but Chris like winces as I say something. No, you're doing. Fan- no, you're doing fantastic. Keep going. Okay. So. Melkor has corrupted him. He's whispered in his ear, done all the bad things and said, you know, the Valar are against you. They're trying to manipulate you, take away your power and all the great things that you've done. And you need to be fearful of them and use that fear to rebel against them. And Feanor's like, okay, you like this kind, this makes sense to me. I feel like Feanor right now in our society because everything's crazy. So it makes sense at this point and Feanor wants to rise against the Valar and the Valar want... So uh, there's a point where the trees die, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the light... Morgoth and Ungoliant attack the trees, yeah, lick them. And the Valar request the Silmarils... To break them, yeah. To because the only way that they can bring them back and to repair the 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 trees is to use their own magic and their own source to bring them back. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. No. I'm just and he says no because he has already been infiltrated by Melkor had all those vicious, poisonous whisperings, and he's like, No. I don't trust you. You're going to use these against me. Yeah? Yeah, kind of. I just want to quickly interject. That might be partly because of Morgoth, but it, Feanor, He's also he is very protective, protective yeah. over this, mm-hmm. with a greedy love of the Silmarils. So he's like, no, hell no. Let's just rush, rush this part. Um, he's just like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to bring my whole posse to this i'm gonna do a great ass speech i'm gonna rally the troops and we are going to get those talari ships talari yeah yeah yeah. talari ships we're gonna steal them from them we're gonna venture and we are going to protect everything that is ours and in that yeah he makes an oath um an unbreakable oath oh yes and that is his Hamasha. Yes, the cause of his downfall. His downfall and many others. Oh, um, he, he drags a lot of poor um, elves with him, mm, unfortunately. Pretty, yeah. mm-hmm. a, a large portion of the Noldor yeah. who lived in Amman at the time. And that that's me for the rest of the podcast. See you later, guys. Peace. I'm very proud of you. That was a very good summary, yeah. Anyone wanting some more detail, uh, spoiler alert, he dies at the end, go back, listen to our three-part series on the Noldor, <laughs> which we, re- well, the last few episodes, I mean, just fucking scroll down on whatever app you're looking at. It's very informative because I actually remembered things. Yeah, absolutely. They really are. 
Well, yeah, I, I definitely recommend them too. Absolutely, yeah. So, so Feanor and the Noldor, they are, through certain actions, they are exiled from Aman mm-hmm. under the Doom of Mandos, which tells that they will bring untold misery upon themselves. A couple recant and repent. Others don't. We've got the big events like the burning of the ships. Then we've got Feanor's death. So, that's his life. Mm-hmm. And that was his death. What an icon. <laughs> <laughs> so, you brought me here, Chris. <laughs> I did. I, I did because... Because this pod- this podcast is not an echo chamber. We need you. No, I am not an echo chamber, nor do I bring on people who are controversial. So, oh. Alex, <laughs> yeah. we'll have none of your opinions oh. about dwarves, which about borders dwarves. on racist. About dwarves. We will okay. stick to Feanor. <laughs> joking. <laughs> but no, this podcast is not an echo chamber, so intentionally we bring on people who I have different views to, because that's what's going to benefit the viewer most. Mm-hmm. In a world where we currently, it's very absolutist. We strive to have that middle ground. So mm-hmm. open your ears, take your fucking pants off, and we'll talk about Feanor. <laughs> so, Take your grab a sword, legs on the headrest. Let's wear some oath. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Becca, we're going we're gonna to talk to you about Feanor. I encourage you to ask questions. I encourage you to to interrupt and ask for reasoning as to why the mad bastard does things he does. And not get too drunk. Uh, no, <laughs> get as drunk as you like. It's been a fucking, it's been a tough few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, where do you think we should start with uh, discussing Feanor? What what do you think are some of the notable events that ha- are perhaps the most divisive in where people seem to view Feanor's actions? Mm-hmm. The most divisive part. Well. Definitely the kinsling, because I will not defend... Which one? <laughs> well, the first one. <laughs> uh, the kinsling of uh, the Teleri and the rape of their ships. Uh, I would never defend Feanor's actions in here. I feel like with the death of Finway, he is on a fury road. There's nothing to stop him. It both escalates and never stops escalating until his death and auto combustion. But at the same time for him, it's the beginning of an end it's a just complete downfall i feel like the death of his father whom he loved more than the silmarils themselves uh is like that point of no return for him that's such a good way to put it i've never heard it put like that before hmm. but that's a very good way to put it and that it escalates and it never stops escalating but at the same time that he is rising it's also the very yes. beginning the ve- it's, well it's also it's the speeding up of his downfall mm-hmm. arguably I'd say that his downfall starts when he pulls the the sword on Fingolfin mm-hmm. at his uh, at his dad's meeting. That is but, a controversial situation, but I still believe that uh, everything up until Finway's death had still potential of being fixed and and being you know prevented the further catastrophe. It's it's very clear that with Finway's death, he he just loses all the trust, all the um, respect for the Valar. And I understand him in that. And uh, I blame the Valar. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> For many things. <laughs> yeah. They stand... They're very standoffish. And mm-hmm. I understand that's part of who they are. That they don't... They, they've they created this world and helped yeah. in the building of it. But they're very much like... As in, in Christianity with God and his influence, people, when good things happen, mm-hmm. people say, oh, that was God's influence. When bad things happen, 
people say that was God teaching us a lesson. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the Valar are very much like that. And yeah. that would that would be linked closely with Tolkien's Catholicism. Yeah. So that that's the teaching, the lesson. Mm-hmm. Is there a lack of involvement? Yes, no. I, I think that's a great point. And I think that, yeah, as you said, they're very standoffish. That's my main problem with the Valar is, I think, so in the nature of Middle-earth, I'm bringing my big guns at the very beginning, but Tolkien himself mentions and, and describes how bringing the elves to Valinor was a mistake on the Valar's part because it was against the design of Eru and that the revolt of the Noldor was a direct consequence, consequence of this their move, that they were so anxious and so fearful of Melkor that they decided to you know bring the elves to Valinor. Of course, they didn't make the elves do that, but they really definitely convinced them to do that by bringing the three you know elves to to Valinor so they can behold the whole paradise and convince the other elves to follow them. So that was the mistake because it was not what Eru designed. And yes, I really love that part because it says that um, it was against the nature of elves as well to be um, kind of enclosed in Valinor instead of instead of Middle Earth where they were designed to live. Well, we also see, so there's, there's two points I want to raise off the back of that. We also see, and Becky, you might remember this from one of our early episodes, even in Amman, mm-hmm. the Valar, when they raise the Pelori Mountains against Malkor and Morgoth, they still have to leave, uh, it's called the Gap, it's got a name, it's called like Kalinar or Kalsinar or something like that, but they've still got to leave a gap before even the, uh, even the Vanyar and the Noldor who were left still have to breathe the the air of the outside world. Mm, yeah, and that is uh, it, that shows how intrinsically the elves themselves are tied to the life of Arda. Mm-hmm. And what Alex is referring to with the nature of Middle Earth is the converse between Eru and Manwe, where Manwe is saying, "What happens to elves who die? What can we do with them? Uh, do we have your permission, uh, or do we even have the power to it?" And then Eru says. Well, you didn't stop to question that when you took them away from Middle Earth and brought them to to Aman, did you? And then now that actually the way you've put that, Alex, has kind of made me think that on a cosmic scale, could the flight of the Noldor just be Eru's mm. way of humbling Manwe? Because Manwe was very grieved by Feanor's loss. Yeah. And Feanor's fall. So it said that Manwe I don't know if exactly it says that he weeps, but he bows his head in sorrow. Uh, when because Feanor says, uh, and again, go back to our older episodes. Feanor says when Manwe's messenger goes to him just before they all leave Tyrion and what have you, Manwe's messenger says like, "Don't go," blah blah blah. And Feanor says they'll sing the songs of the Noldor. Then when that's reco- reported back to Manwe, Manwe bows his head in sorrow as if he's communing with Eru, and then says, "So be it." But these songs will be dearly bought. Mm-hmm. So that's really fucked up that you've brought that up because now I'm wondering. Is the entire downfall of the Noldor, the first fall of the elves, Eru's way of saying to Manwe, do not fuck with my plan. Perhaps. And I will get the elves back to Middle-earth, and I have got the elves back to Middle-earth, but in a way that has hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you who would love that interpretation. Inuli. Uh, so oh. Inuli is someone who's part of the server, um, and, and she's the degenerate angbanger we've talked about before. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. But she loves the um the like the kind of like the contravening is Eru a bit of a bastard type interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um 
but that that's very interesting to to think of it like that. But yeah, the, the, the fight of the Noldor hurts Manway a lot. Mm-hmm. It, well, well, it hurts him, but at the same time, I feel like the Valar failed Noldor. It's say to, to to say that because imagine you know you are not just Feanor but all of the Noldor. The Valar brought you from Middle Earth, where you were designed to live, to Valinor because they promised you that hey, here you'll be safe, here we will protect you. They didn't. They repeatedly didn't because they let you know Melkor lose. They tried to like hunt him down. They couldn't because he was just too sneaky. He would you know create a shadow or whatnot, and he would always escape even when Tolkas and Orome were trying to hunt him down. But still, from the perspective of elves, it's like you guys failed us because this is not a paradise anymore. We are not safe here. The trees were destroyed. Finway, our king, was slain. So what else can happen? Like I understand, you know, the the whole rebellion and where everyone was coming from, not just Feanor, but other princes, you know, and princesses of the Noldor. Because, yeah, that was no longer a place to stay. And I would probably, just like Feanor, kind of lose my trust in the Valar. Perhaps that would be my sin and my downfall as well. But <laughs> I think, yeah. You would definitely, you would definitely get to that point. And I think in this day and age, and a lot of places in this world, people are getting to that point where they're saying, you've intervened in other aspects, but then you're going to stand back at this point? Mm-hmm. Where, Why do you make these decisions? Why are you going to let some things happen? And then exactly stand back and not guide us? And I think the Valar should be more guidance. Well... And I know they step back and yeah. they're meant to, but I feel like the Valar also have such such emotion when things go wrong that really they are almost like parents and you would never allow your children. You would you would say, go on then, make that mistake, but I'm just going to give you some advice beforehand. Uh-huh. Well, they do. They, and they do. They and do. I know they, they do. do try, but I don't think they try hard enough. Well, I w- I've got two counterpoints to this, okay. to, to, to both of you, and I appreciate the arguments thus far, because there's things I've not considered from both of you. So, the first one, the Valar know that they are never to try and force the children of Iluvatar in any aspect. They are, at best, big brothers and sisters, and or chiefs. They are not rulers. Like, Manwe's got the, the title of Vice-Regent of Eru, and the High King of Arda, mm-hmm. etc., but he and nor any of the other Valar can force the children of Iluvatar to do anything mm-hmm. because the one who has forced them to do stuff is Melkor or, or Morgoth and it will always turn to ill regardless of the intention. The second one, the second point would be there is plenty of elves who stayed in Aman and it turned out for the best. So I understand your point. I understand your point 100%. And I personally think, right, regardless of where I'm arguing from, I know for a fact if I was a Noldor, I'd be in Fingolfin's host. I'd be like, yeah. fuck that bastard at the front. <laughs> but but I'm still going. Yeah. I'd, I'd be chilling with Galadriel in that. I'd be like, he's yeah. still a wanker. But see, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. All right, I, I get it. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, want some yeah. change. I think that's a fundamental difference between the Vanyar, Noldor, and Teleri, though, because as you said, the Vanyar and the remaining Teleri um, stayed in Valinor, and they were happy, and it turned out the best for for them. But I think we need to here focus on this aspect of the Noldor as being of this group of incredibly ambitious, determined people who just want more. 
and that's like the greatest characteristics that they, they were they, just you not, not satisfied with what they had. They were they did kept, that, you yeah. know. <laughs> and, and do you know what the thing is as well, right? Let's not do it for too long, but let's look at Galadriel. She yearned for the wide open lands of Middle Earth, and looking at it from the fact that Eru said you shouldn't have brought them to, or, or well, you 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 brought them to Aman. Mm-hmm. And you probably might shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Then they yearn naturally to go back and and see and rule over the wide open said, lands. Naturally, because it's against their nature to be in Valinor. Yeah. That is what Tolkien says in the nature of Middle Earth. So it's you know, it's just a fact. And, and just yeah, just to aid this point as well, right? Relatively speaking, Aman is a fairly narrow continent. It is kind of you've got the the Polori Mountains on the east edge, and then you've got like the is it, what's it called? Is it like the Eastern Sea? No, like the Western Sea or the Western Shores or something like that. But it's it's a relatively narrow kind of continent to live in. Yeah. So I could understand that they they go, they look at over to uh, let's say Lamoth or the the, the Firth of Drengris. Den- Drengris? To the Firth of Dreng. Fuck, I'm too drunk. What's it called? Drengris? <laughs> what's it called? <laughs> Fuck, where, where, what's it called? Where Feanor lands? The Firth of oh. Drengris? Oh, goodness. Um. Drengris? Anyway, that I place exactly all right the way now, to like sure. <laughs> all the way to even then you've got like after that what have you got? You got the like, Arid Lewin that separates Beleriand from like uh, the, the like yeah, Eriador. Yeah, yeah. Then after that you've got all the way to Mirkwood, the Sea of Rune, mm-hmm. eventually back to Quivain. And I can imagine for someone who comes from like a narrow land, like fuck, that's so big. I'm <laughs> just gonna say this. So much girth. I'm gonna be controversial. Go on. I just feel like the ones that were left behind that are the ones that you know keep going they're the ones that survive and thrive i feel like the ones that you those are the ones that you don't really want to be <laughs> continuing on the race because they're the ones who settle right and unfortunately that's i feel like this point is when you lose the true wealth the ones that are left behind, uh, like the ilk that you do not want, they're the ones that not they are not going to make changes, right? <laughs> Excuse me, the War of Wrath I'm begs just, to differ. No, but I'm as far as I'm aware. If I didn't know all that knowledge afterwards, I would say, nah, these are the weaklings. These are the ones that have stayed. The they aren't people who maybe not changed the, the weak world. ones because yeah, you said the War of Wrath, but they are the ones that are not remembered in songs. <laughs> it's a shame you're wearing a headset because that was a mic drop if I've ever heard one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Rhyme about this, pop. <laughs> what the fuck rhymes with finarfin? Nothing. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that that's fair. That's fair. Um, I I do see the point in that. I'd never thought about as much about the natural inclination of the elves towards Middle-earth, because mm-hmm. they are intrinsically tied with Arda and, and the, the life of Arda, so... Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, however, uh, again, my, my counterpoint to this section mm-hmm. would be that the ones who stayed behind ended up being in the right, mm-hmm. because after the War of Wrath, which ends the first age of Middle-earth, they were counselled very sternly to go back to the West. Mm-hmm. The ones who didn't were people like Galadriel and Celeborn. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, like Círdan, et cetera, et cetera. And they went east instead and they founded, like, Lindon. 
They're the fringe people. Well, well they're, they're the ones that we meet in Lord of the Rings, and mm-hmm. they founded kingdoms. Like, elves did found kingdoms in, like, the Second Age and stuff like that. But then by the time we see them in the Third Age, they're weary, they're knackered, yeah. they just want to go home. Yeah. So, they're the people yeah, who yeah, have yeah. children. <laughs> yeah, they are. They, yeah, they, yeah, the they, people who don't have children, <laughs> they are going on the best holidays, they yeah. are doing their self-care. But it comes down to, in the story that we're presented and the law that we're presented, it was, uh, and this is something I want to come back to, the objectively right or the objectively good thing to do, which is something I want to revisit in one of my later points, is that we're presented with a lot of objective like um, situations Mm -hmm. where there's object... But when you introduce grey characters into objective morality you start to have issues. Mm-hmm. And this is the reason we're getting a whole fucking episode out of Feanor, because he's one of these great characters yeah. in an objective morality system. Absolutely. But well, fair dues. Fair dues. So the flight of the Noldor, Becca, Feanor's on trial. I say that the flight of the Noldor was foolhardy, because in the end, it turned out that the Valar was right and that they should have stayed put. Alex, what would your closing argument be for the flight of the Noldor? Oh, the flight of the Noldor as general. So just a summary of what we've been talking about thus far mm-hmm. for this point. If we're in a courtroom, that was my closing statement for this part. I don't think that's so easy. I can't, I literally cannot tell you if it was good or bad because, of course, in the very long run, right, it was bad for them because, as you said, they were weary, they were tired, they just, they were homesick for Valinor because at this point they, they kind of saw Valinor as their home after all. However, if they had not gone to Middle-earth, I feel like Morgoth would just, you know, have a complete party in there. Like, all, you know, the kingdoms of the Sindar, of the uh, Avari, uh, of the Atani as well, the men, they would just keep falling one by one. We wouldn't have Arendil, so who would, you know, would the Valar intervene? Would they do anything? So that's a difficult question. I feel like... (laughs) I can't decide if it was bad or good in general. It's it's definitely easier to go back to the case of Feanor, his specific case, <laughs> if we want to, you know, put him on trial. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So the kinslaying then. Mm. The first kinslaying, Alqualondi. Mm-hmm. To recap the events, Feanor went to his pal Olway, said, give some ships and some sailors, we're leaving, fam. Mm-hmm. Always said, no. Feanor said, oh, so that means you're not my friend then. <laughs> Always said, no. I'm still your friend. It's just a dumb fucking thing to do. Mm-hmm. Feanor walked off grumbling until enough of his army got there that they tried to take the ships by force. Mm-hmm. The Teleri tried to stop them under Olway. They were... Uh, some Noldor were thrown into the harbour. Mm-hmm. Eventually, weapons were drawn. Stones and bows by the Teleri. Swords and other sharp things by the Noldor. Mm-hmm. Blood was spilled. The, f- the Noldor would have lost had not... Yeah. Who was it who came up? Fingon. Was it Fingon? It was Fingon. Was it Fingon, yeah? It Fingon sorry, leading just... the vanguard of Fingolfin's forces came up, thought that... Oh my god, Feanor was right. The Valar are trying to stop yeah. us. Look, they're attacking him. And that have you was seen that meme to... with I think it's Danny DeVito with like <laughs> I just started blasting. 
I know, love but that, that I, I can imagine in terms it perfectly. Of because he just <laughs> arrives, you know, at Alcohol and there's yeah. complete chaos, people fighting, you know, killing each other, and he just, well, I just started blasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is sad, but we can make jokes about it. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and so it ends with a lot of the greatest sailors in, in Arda yeah. being killed. And the Teleri make, uh, sorry, the Noldor make off with the Teleri ships of the the Golden Jet Swan ships. Mm-hmm. So Alex, in light of all that, oh, and uh, they lose a lot of these boats because they can't fucking sail them. They've got to stick to <laughs> coastal waters. Without Osse, the Maya getting involved, you're the Maya of the coastal waters, and then eventually the Doom of Mandos has proclaimed the prophecy. You, you, you're going to hurt for this. And then Feanor takes the ships, gets to the other side with all of his loyal people, and then burns them so that nobody could use them. So let's oh. take that whole event, uh-huh. taking the ships all the way to burning the ships. Uh-huh. Would you like to? Would you care to explain, Alex? Would you care to explain yourself? <laughs> oh, I see how it is. <laughs> uh, all right. As I said, uh, let me be clear. I love Feanor as a character. I think he's one of Tolkien's absolutely best characters. Um, I cannot, though, I cannot, I will not defend his actions, especially kinslaying and, of course, burning of the ships, because it's just awful. It's tragic. It's uh, unnecessary. Uh, you know, when it comes to kinslaying, he is, as I said, on his fury road, right? Like, road of no return. He has no other option, really, because he cannot go back to Valinor. But, you know, he just, at this point, he will do absolutely anything. So he does this terrible, terrible, unforgivable deed. Um, to me, honestly, the burning of the sh- of the ships is even worse because that is such a spiteful act that makes no sense to anyone. So, as I said, he he this he's during his downfall at this point. I feel like he's really starting to just lose any logic, any sense to it all. He's only focused on his goal, you know, getting to Morgoth and kicking his ass, and it none of it really matters anymore. Yeah, so. But at the same time, um, he he is a great fictional character. I feel like all of that, you know, all of the things that lead him, the greatest of the Noldor, to that very point. This is what fascinates me so much, just to, you know, examine like what all those all those different factors that led him to that point. Well, it's it's like we've kind of we've discussed before in various different places that we talk about good and bad, and then there's that quote that it might be Oscar Wilde, it might be just mm-hmm. some random bastard who fucking slapped the meme together who said don't worry about good and bad worry about charming and tedious oh i remember that yes <laughs> and on that scale feanor 100 percent is like he's more charming that he's not oh, tedious i was waiting what you were gonna like, say yes i agree he's no, not no 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 <laughs> no i i 100 agree that mm-hmm. I, I in fact you know what i go so far as to say that without uh, without feanor being, because of the catalyst, he is the catalyst for most things happening in the first age. Mm-hmm. I don't think there could be a legendarian exactly. without Feanor. I think you'd get to the Valaquenta and then it just kind of peter off. Exactly. Yes, he is like I like the way you call him catalyst. He's just the spark that, you know, everything begins with that. He's a tragic hero. I sort think. of. Is he a hero? I think he's a hero. I really do. I like how Why? just a couple of days ago, I think, in our book club, um, someone mentioned, you know, that how Morgoth, I think it was Kat, actually, that Morgoth, you know, 
had the potential to just be better than Manwei because he was the mightiest of the Valar. He was the most powerful of them all. He had the potential to, you know, be an f- unstoppable force for good. Best. Yeah. And it was a nice parallel sort of to Feanor because he was the greatest of the Eldar. It was actually Aule who called him that. Um, but yeah, all those circumstances, like, you know, the very fact that, as we said, Noldor are in Valinor against sort of their nature. Then we, of course, have Finway remarrying. Then we have the Thorn versus S discourse. Uh, it's of a perfect those, storm. Yes, all of those. I, I, I also love that about Feanor that to just see how many different factors led to, to his downfall, to all of that potential that he could possibly have turning into evil deeds. So I totally identify with Fëanor. Mm-hmm. I really do. In terms of he current, he is in that perfect storm. He has had many different influences that have created his tarnished view of the world and what he's currently existing in, the society that he's existing in. He wants the best of the best for him, Uh but also for his people. And that's not a bad trait. He is incredibly influenced by one of the most powerful Valar that there is. uh, We said it before, he's literally got the devil whispering in his ear. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, like you, you can't you can't discount that, and and as I mentioned during our Noldor episodes, Morgoth Melkor is very good at what he does, and it's never kind of like out and out state. The only time Morgoth messes up, Feanor sees through it in an instant, yeah, and that's when he's like, "Get thee gone, Jailcrow, oh, Mandos," and slams so much. His- shows his strength ultimately oh, yeah. because he can see through one of the most po- powerful Valar, mm-hmm. and Melkor is so powerful that he can change every who created the Valar and Melkor even goes against his own maker's wishes. He can create a different a different sound, a different melody. He can go to his own drum. Uh-huh. So he is actually rebelling against the creator, uh-huh. which is massive. And then you've got Feanor, who can see through Melkor, which shows his ultimate strength. He's seeing through mm-hmm. his maker's maker. But that means that you then need to see every action that he makes after Melkor's influence with a pinch of salt. It's disgusting mm-hmm. the things that he does to his own people. Yeah. But he has been highly influenced and infiltrated by a terrorist, really. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good points. I mean, hundred percent. And then, and it's actually it's good that you've brought that up because something I had in my notes is that just because Feanor detests Melkor does not automatically put him back into on the side of the Valar. He's Mm-mm. So, right, this is... I promise this tangent has a point, right? When I was 16-year-old... Whatever. Fuck off. (laughs) When I was a 16-year-old wee lad, right, and I was at at college and I did sociology, and I remember being taught about all the different ideologies you have and there's like like there's some people who see the world in this way and there's some people who see the world like um, through through like a gay lens, some people see the world through a black lens. And then there's some people who are revolutionaries who they don't care 
what the system is mm-hmm. or what the game is that is being played, they just want to flip the fucking board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Feanor <laughs> seems to strike me as one of these people. He's like, I will tell Morgoth to get gone yeah. from my... Yeah. But I'll also rebel against the Valar. Like, yeah. he's a board flipper. Yeah, at this point, he saw, I think, the Valar as the same as Melkor. He was like, you guys, you know, he put them all together in the bag. He didn't trust any of them. Um, well, yeah, because he mm-hmm. said, like, they're, they're his kin. So, yeah. and that was that was part of his speech, wasn't it? It was that yeah. they're the kin uh, of Morgoth and they don't take any actions against him. And again, that is that is the fault of the Valar. It is. Because Manwe couldn't conceive of what it was like to have evil in your heart, so he didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And Equally, that... though, Eru, Eru totally allows Melkor a dance to his own drum. So, if, if you knew if... the hours I've spent that were not with you, but were discussing free will on a oh, Discord yeah. server, we'd get divorced yeah. in the morning. Right, yeah. okay. <laughs> Lots no. of hours. Right, okay. Yeah, you won't do anything, because, yeah, there's free will and stuff. But think about it. Have you ever actually thought about the fact that, okay... Whenever, after this whole thing, when Theodor points uh, his sword at Fingolfin, right, he's brought to the uh, trial, uh, everyone's gathered around him, and they finally make him to confess that, okay, it was basically Morgoth who's been whispering, who's been staring the pot, like, uh, spreading all this shit around uh, everywhere. And they are like, okay, but you still fucked up. You still, you know, pointed the sword at your brother, caused all this crap, so we are banishing you. That is your, you know, punishment. You, you can't even be here just get the hell out and then okay Feanor succumbs to this punishment he's like okay I will do that I will not you know rebel against that and while he is serving his punishment he's being banished freaking Melkor shows up at his door so to me it's all it's you know like like what the hell right I'm being punished I am serving my punishment and you guys are not even capable enough to you know hunt down one of your own so that to me is just like this this other little moment that contributes to the whole situation and why he does what he does i totally agree with you i'm exactly on the same like on the same side that he is serving what he has been given Mm -hmm. he's accepted it and they can't even step in i as a valar would say right my father is allowing he has this power, he's created this universe. He has this power to allow Melkor to do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. He's doing whatever he wants. And we're meant to just sit back. But how does that make any sense that Melkor's allowed to just parade around and and, <laughs> and change I the think, opinion yeah, of a that, whole society? Well, may I, may I read... <laughs> Yes, there has been. I and in fact, I still talk to uh, Amanda, and mm-hmm. we still are carrying on this conversation so about, to this yeah, day. Is Morgoth like within Eru's plan and stuff like so, that? Yeah. Rebecca, I would. I will, okay, go. we'll just skip. No, 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 no. We'll skip I'll, that. I'll, I'll, no, we'll 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 bring it to an end because it, that would could and would be at all, and it's my. Um, if I was autistic, great plan. <laughs> if I was autistic, it would be what's called my special interest. Is that free will in Middle Earth? But what do you mean if you were autistic? I'm not. Fuck off. <laughs> right. If you 
Uh, I would. New, neuro oh. spicy man. Jesus Christ. You sound like Jen. Shut up. Right. Get back on track <laughs> in that. If uh, it's something that has been grappled with for a long time about Morgoth being allowed to do what he does, I would refer you back to the real world, quote unquote, real world, Epicurean paradox. Mm-hmm. If God is good, then why does he allow evil to take place? And that is something that is grappled with, even even within Tolkien. We're told that Eru is well. Actually, I don't think I don't know if we're ever told out and out that Eru is a good god, but we're told that he is the creator. We know that Manwe is objectively good. We know the Aratar, the, the the most powerful of the Valar, are objectively good. We know Morgoth is objectively evil. But then, why is Morgoth allowing Arda to be marred, and then why is Sauron allowed to do blah blah blah? So let's. Let's draw a line under that one because we've got a few subjects to cover and I'm, I've i never been in this position before where I'm enjoying it too much <laughs> and it would be to the detriment of the recording mm-hmm. if we just devolved into, well, if he can do this, well, then why this? <laughs> so we need to organise like a catch-up powwow after this recording. It'd be a fucking conference and it'd last weeks. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Right. Just for three people. Oh, so actually, here's just a little quick one I want to throw out. I was reading the Silmarillion the other day, <laughs> and just <laughs> as oh, you just do. casually just, in the world that was that sentence. <laughs> well, it, it was actually. Do you know when you asked the question about whether Morgoth was explicitly stated to be the first right. of the Ainur, which I couldn't find the answer to. I don't, it doesn't say that he was. You'd assume he was, but it doesn't explicitly state he was the first born. Mm-hmm. But I came across a passage that Feanor, the first gems Feanor made were colourless until they were set under starlight mm-hmm. where they blazed with silver and blue light. Is that not the colour of the trees? No. No, it's starlight. Silver and gold. <laughs> uh, no, well, tell, tell Perion and Laurelin are uh, silver and gold. Okay. But my question would be then, these colourless gems that when exposed, then when they were exposed to starlight became silver and blue. Yeah. I see where you're going. Do we reckon there's any chance these could have been that one of these could have been the Arkenstone? Ooh, a an early creation, a, an early creation of Feanor that doesn't have quite the same hold of a Silmaril, but is still enough to drive dwarves mad with greed. Perhaps could do we think we might have a new fan theory fan out theory. there? Surely it that the Arkenstone. I'm not sure how dwarf fans would feel about that i mean you're one of them um i'm a huge <laughs> i'm a huge dwarf fan however, however you're a dwarf fan so how do you feel oh, hang on no no i will say this though oh i will say yeah. this though it is stated that all noldor became pupils of Aule. Mm-hmm. so you are that arkenstone would be a creation one step removed from Aule. it could any be. of the gems that feanor made because we know, so Becca Feanor was a master craftsman and he, and he made stuff. And he was a pupil under Matan, yeah. who was his wife's dad. However, and this is something I want to ask you actually, Alex. Mm-hmm. In the text, it says that Feanor was a pupil of Matan, uh, Nerdinel's yeah. father. Mm-hmm. And that he ruled the day he taught Feanor all of the stuff he could. However, it is also said that the Noldor became pupils of Aule. So, my question then would be, do we think that 
all Noldor could go to Aule whenever they wanted, and he taught them, or did they have to complete an apprenticeship under another Noldor before they were allowed to train with Aule directly, so that he wasn't like wasting his time with them? <laughs> I think that would make more sense. I don't. I, I'm not. I don't know what the daily life, you know, of Avala would look like. Like, would Aule just hang around in his workshop all day, being like, "Yeah, walking hours, everyone, come in, come in." Or <laughs> well, we we know no way. we know no he well, in the famous chapter that we all love to quote about like nevertheless they will need wood. Yeah. As Yovana and him are having that conversation, <laughs> you love that one. As Yovana and mm. him are having that conversation, he is pouring molten metal into a mold. Ah, right. So he is just he's a busy guy. He's just doing shit. Doing shit. Yeah. No, he's not just he's not just doing shit. He is a busy guy. You're a popular guy, I would, and you need yeah. to have people that filter through all the crap before it gets to you. Yeah, exactly. So that would make sense that like he teaches like one or two L, like he teaches one or two Noldor to to do like the, the to be like the big teacher, some Matan. Right? I'm the filterer of crap. Yeah. right? in my job, I am the filterer of crap. Yeah, exactly. So Matan would be like everyone would learn under Matan, but once you'd learned everything you could from Matan, you could then go and teach like learn with Aule. Yeah, I suppose. And it's never really explicitly stated as far as I could tell that Feanor specifically trained with Aule, but it, all the Noldor are described as pupils of Aule. Mm-hmm. So what do we reckon? I would say probably that yes, the second version that you proposed, that not just everyone walking hours, welcome, I will teach you. You would probably yeah, I, I believe that yeah, he would pick, you know, some a handful of pupils very uh, gifted, hardworking, like Matan, Fëanor, teach them, and then yes, he would be happy with them spreading his knowledge to the crowd. That's how I see it. I would say this. Yeah, it's because it, it's just that the Silmarils were an exceptional, exceptional creation, mm-hmm. and if Matan could have taught him that. Why hadn't Matan made it? But then I suppose that's ontological because, like, tautological, sorry, because, like, you could just ask that about anything. Like, well, if you could, why didn't you? Mm-hmm. And it's just not really a fair answer, is it? Mm. At the end? I think it's it's the. Uh, that Feanor has that revolutionary side to him. And with revolutionists, they have boundless and endless creativity. And nothing, they have no limits. Mm-hmm. You've got to be that type of person to create something that is unbelievable, yeah. unimaginable. I so think no I one think... else apart from Feanor, that might be a bold statement, but there's no one else who could have possibly made Silmarils. Because no. no one else had this ability, or even, let's say, I don't know, I don't want to call it a foresight, but Feanor had almost seemed to have that sense that Things were not going to be forever, unlike unlike other elves. You know what I mean. He devised uh, he okay. He improved upon Tengwar, Tengwa, Tengwar. What you call it the alphabet. He didn't settle. <laughs> um, yeah, he didn't settle. Mm-hmm. So all the knowledge could be written down, sort of preserved. And it was the same. It, that's what it says. You know, in the text that he even started working on the Silmarils because he, you know, admired the light of the trees so much that he wanted to preserve it forever but if he truly believed like you know everyone else that but the trees are going to be there you know that's why i think he was really the only one ever who could be 
regardless of the knowledge and skill, create the Silmarils because of that quality. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. well, I'm going to just put that, put it out there, right? So, Feanor is me. Right. <laughs> in the sense of... It's a bold fucking statement. You never live in the present. Because oh, right, yeah. I struggle, I I struggle to live in the present. You're always thinking, where am I going to be tripped up? Like, <laughs> well, I need to protect myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he is very much okay. So this is so beautiful. We recognise beauty. How can I preserve mm-hmm. this? How can I protect it? How can I make this accessible for other, for the future, really? And that is why and that is what drives him mm-hmm. to to craft and and some people don't think like that and some people do some people live in the present that's great that works for them and they change a lot of things in the world but some people are forward thinkers and that is what Feanor is mm-hmm. as a forward thinker he's a revolutionary he is an inventor there's a lot of great things that come from that type of personality and there's also very negative things in terms of the burden of the ships and, you know, you Absolutely. are very re- revolutionary, Chris. Um, He doesn't listen to anyone, not even me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I listen to people, but I'm very like, right, let's have a disaster plan. I don't know about yourself, but uh-huh. we're like I'm very disaster plan, and you can't take things for granted. Uh-huh. I have been tripped up, and yeah, it's great to settle, but it's it's not life. Like things change, life changes, and you've got it. You've got a disaster plan. <laughs> yeah, fair dues, fair dues, and that's the corporate Rebecca coming out. Yeah, <laughs> all right, okay, yeah, yeah. So we'll have a. We'll have a look at some of the, the, the nerdiest things and see where Feanor lands on that. We're going to talk about the, the changing language, oh, which I know is your yeah. favourite topic. <laughs> oh. Well, I'll just sit out on this. We've done some preparation for this one, I know. We've for been a fact, reading the scriptures. I will. I will, oh, I, I will. Well, you've got a partner in crime, okay? So I'll I, just I will, chill. I will say one more thing about Feanor is that a lot of people out there might relate to this. He's and, handsome. Oh, no. yeah. sexy. No, he's most people are the most handsome. That is what Yes, he's a game changer. Yeah. I would totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> F him. <laughs> right, okay. The he is you, really. The Smith calendar. The se- I was thinking about the sexy Smith shirtless Smith. Oh, yeah. gosh. Honestly, oh. Uh, a Smith, I used to play WoW. And you just love blacksmithing, yeah. I love like I'm the little dwarf. Like I would totally find all the gems and sell them to a smith <laughs> and watch him sweat away. Right. Just oh. stop. Oh. No, go on, stop. Back. Go on. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna isolate Sorry. yeah, I'm gonna isolate these audio clips and sell them. I'm just gonna... <laughs> right, just stop. So <laughs> this this part that I found about Feanor in the Shibboleth of Feanor, which is part of the Peoples of Middle Earth, which is volume twelve, volume twelve of the pe- volume twelve of the Peoples of Middle Earth, uh, the history of Middle Earth. Sorry, and it said that Feanor was restless of mind and body, and often started projects and never finished them. I'm super guilty of that, but uh-huh. that's not by any means a unique trait. 
And I can't help but think that is just a direct nod to Tolkien himself. Oh, with the amount yeah, of things he started and never finished. Mm-hmm. Is that like restless of body and spirit? Mm-hmm. That's got to be Tolkien for. Yeah. It might be. Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> and uh, an example here was an unfinished essay, which nevertheless we're going to draw heavily from now, which, uh, as mentioned, is called The Shibboleth of Feanor, and that name was given by Christopher Tolkien. It was never actually titled by uh, Tollers himself. <laughs> by Jonald. Dirt. <laughs> and... Alex, would you like me to give an overview of the Shibboleth of Feanor and the shift in language, or would you like to do it? Oh, you can go ahead. I'm easy. (laughs) So, the whole essay concerns the shift in the Quenya language from the the letter Thorn, which is... It's this one here. (laughs) It's the the th sound, is a thorn, which is... It's like a P... If the P was moved to the middle of the line instead of at the, the the if the circle on a P was moved to the middle of the line, <laughs> yep, is the yeah, thorn symbol, <laughs> and you went from that to S, so from th to s, and the opposite happened in real life with Spanish, which went from s to th, mm-hmm. and I don't think Quenya was due to uh, someone, some king having a, a, a lisp. Was Quenya <laughs> as sexy as Spanish? Quenya is very closely related to Finnish. It's a very, very closely related to Finnish. I'm, I'm not as fierce with Finnish, but Spanish, yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So, the shift from th to s in Quenya happened sometime after Feanor's mother was born, but sometime before Feanor was born. And what's important here? is this shift in language took on more of a symbolic meaning. Yes. It was very personal. It was very personal. So people would stake their kind of um, identity on it. So the House of Fingolfin, for example, uh, which includes like Galadriel and stuff like that, and and those, Fenarfin and those kinds of people, they stuck with the S sound they went with the times right so were they like the royal family yeah yeah they were they were the they, high house they kept the tradition yeah they're the high house okay. and all so quenya so the vanya elves i think largely had their own language and they adopted a lot of alarin into it but i think they largely stuck with the th however indis the fair who was a vanya but was finway's wife who is second wife she said, I will speak as my people do. Mm-hmm. And she adopted the, the change to the letter S as opposed to the, the letter Thorn. However, Feanor was... Uh, he was a, a, one of the chief lawmasters and he was one of the chief linguists among Noldor. And his opinion was, you don't fucking understand Quenya yeah. if you make this change from th to sir. Mm-hmm. And either privately or in public, a lot of other lawmasters uh, agreed with him. But as we saw before, due to Feanor's own actions, he undid his own cause. Yeah. In he lost the authority. He, he did because he stubbornly <laughs> stuck to it. He stubbornly stuck to 
F is the superior way of speaking. Would you like to and say because why? Of Would you want me to say why? Because I think that's very important. Just explain. No, why. if you, yeah, you could if you would like to say why, please. Why? So the was main so reason why Feanor really wanted to stuck to this keeping the thorn sound right, apart from the fact that he believed that this is how Quenya used to be, this is how we should keep it. Because yes, as Chris said, you guys know nothing about the language. You don't care about the language. We should keep the because that's how it's always been. But the main reason is actually that his mother, Miriel, and her other name was Therinde, having this thorn sound at the very beginning, it was her preference when she was alive, and she was asking when this linguistic change was happening, she was asking as a favor of everyone to still refer to her as Therinde, because it was just her preference. So Feanor, he loved his mother dearly. That's that's also very, um, like, moving for me because he never really knew his mother and he still there's still this incredibly deep connection that he has with her so he knew about it obviously and to honor her um you know to honor his dead mother he also wanted to stick to this thorn sound to the point where chris just mentioned that finway's second wife um indies right she decided that no, I will be speaking with an S sound because that is how the Noldor speak and I married into the Noldor, so that is how I, how, how I will speak. And she had no other agenda behind it. However, Feanor saw it as her sign of dishonoring his dead mother, Miriel. He took it very personally. In fact, there, there's this quote, if I may, I have my book right here, which describes that very personal view he had about that. Right, so right after Indis rejects the sound uh, Thorn, it says, So it came about that to Feanor the rejection of Thorn became a symbol of the rejection of Miriel and of himself, her son, as the chief of the Noldor next to Finway. Yeah. That's, I, I totally, as a mother, I identify with that, but also just as a human being. Um, I think that is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's honouring his mother and, yeah, like you said, he didn't physically know his mother, but there was this connection. he still right? wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's totally, once you're a mother, when that baby is a tiny little poppy seed, you totally, you, you identify. I, I don't know whether other mums will identify who love Lord of the Rings, but... Our child, <laughs> I totally knew that our child was going to be a girl. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, there's she... a special sense. <laughs> yeah, so our child was going to be a girl. And Chris was like, no. And he was like, trying to switch it up when I didn't know. Well, yeah, a bit of background is during Beck, uh, during Becky's pregnancy, I was the only one who knew the gender. Nobody else knew at all. And, mm-hmm. I, and I kept it secret the whole the whole pregnancy. So, through the whole pregnancy, Chris only knew. I was kind of... He switched it up. I was like the, the total romantic. I wanted to know from Chris when she was, she was born. Mm-hmm. I was like... I want Chris to tell me what our child is, okay? And you totally feel the connection. You really do. Mm. And 
you have that connection, whether you are going to be attached to that parent, whether, whether you're a ghost or not, yeah. parent disappears, and you you totally do, you do have that connection. Mm-hmm. So I understand that, and the it's so beautiful that honouring his mother. I think that is such a it beautiful is. thing. Working within funeral care, like I, that that really is so respectful. His mum has left him, but he is honouring her views and values and her traditions, mm-hmm. and he's trying to carry that through. Yeah, yeah. And I totally understand that passion, and and that really builds my case to absolutely adoring Fëanor. So as you said, as I said, actually, that if only, because what you said at that point, you know, the honouring of his mother, it is a very, like, nice picture of Fëanor as a son, right? But then, unfortunately, he goes on to go in his head and go absolutely mad about that, about that linguistic change and about why some people, you know, switch to S because he starts just, as I said, getting in his head, he sees it as the, yet another, you know, ploy against him. Uh, people plotting, people trying to, you know, push him far away from Finway in favor of his other sons and so on. Which also brings some funny bits, honestly, because I don't know if you remember from Shibboleth, uh, Chris, it made me laugh when, you know, there was this bit about Sons of Fingolfin, you know, probably playing, you know, on a playground with Sons of Feanor, and then Sons of Feanor going, and Daddy, Daddy, you know, why are they speaking S, and we're speaking Finn, they're laughing at us, we're having a lisp, right? <laughs> and then Feanor goes, take no heed, we speak as is right, and as King Finway himself did before he was led astray, we are his, we are his heirs by right in the Elder House, let them sassy if they can speak no better. <laughs> so what's what's funny about that is I had the exact quote I was ready to take over oh. after you. However, <laughs> mine ended slightly differently. Is I read out the quote and my next line was the fucking pettiness. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like so just just to drive it home, Becca, Feyenoord got to the point where he thought the Valar themselves were doing this as a way to like oust him mm-hmm. from his position. Like he he got to the point where a change in language that happened before he was born was a way to divide him and it, like to divide him and to the point and, and Alex might have mentioned it earlier is that he proudly one of his names shout out to my elf name episode one of his names was the son of Thurinde mm-hmm. or the Thun of Thurinde <laughs> Because he just probably well, never used the letter S for the rest of his life. Do you know that the name in the fandom of this phenomenon is Fëanor's Lisp? And I absolutely adore that. Is that what that is? I've heard reference to yeah. it before and I was just like, oh, is there like a fan film where he's got a lisp and everyone's just like taking the piss out of him? And I thought, oh, that's, that's shit that I'm not going to comment on. Yeah, but speaking <laughs> of pettiness, you got to give it to Fëanor. He was not the only petty one because we then have a paragraph about Galadriel and how petty she was. About that thing. Oh, I think she was even. Is that not part of? <laughs> yeah, she she did not. Sorry, go on, say what you said, and then I'm going to talk about Galadriel. Grief? Like he's still dealing with grief because this, this... even though he didn't know his mum, that is part. He's still going to go through the grief, the right. grief cycle. So he is still grieving. Right. And hold. Right. Hold. To... No. Hold that thought because we're going to talk about Galadriel, right? Okay. But then I'm going to come back to this grief bit because. I think, oh my god, I can't believe I'm saying this. As a parent, 
I want to talk about this, and I hate when people. I hate when people are like, oh, as a parent, and then talk about something completely fucking unqualified to talk about. Right. Like, as a parent, I think traffic light systems uh, should be designed. No, as a parent, there is something I want to talk about with Feyenoord's grief and to do with Muriel, but with Galadriel, you're right. Mm-hmm. Oh no, not you're right. Sorry, what we were saying about Galadriel, <laughs> she does not really like Feyenoord. Oh no, not really. They were unfriends oh. forever. <laughs> unfriends. unfriends unfriends specifically yeah this is new to me okay so galadriel for those who aren't familiar uh or, or you might have just seen the rings of power and you think that she's like this fucking john wick figure uh, galadriel <laughs> is described as the greatest of all noldor except Feanor. however the long years gave her wisdom far beyond anything and the wisdom took her away from she morphed from Morford Clark in a Kate Blanchett somehow <laughs> she went into a chrysalis mm-hmm. and emerged as Kate Blanchett but no no so Glad- Gladriel's described as the, the greatest of all Noldor in that her wisdom and, and what have it and she saw the darkness in Feanor but the limit was that she couldn't see the darkness that was in the rest of the Noldor, including her. And Gladriel was one of the ones who didn't go back west at the end of the First Age when she was told to. And her redeeming moment comes many thousands of years later, in 3019 of the Third Age, when she is she passes the test to resist the ring and is able to, to, to go home and go west. And I'm trying to keep this as brief as I can, as really brief as I can, but she thought he was a wanker. Three times she refused Feanor to give him a bit of her hair. Yes. Because her hair... Is the because, most precious Yeah, because precious Yeah, because she was descended from the Vanyar and the Noldor. Mm-hmm. She, her hair caught the light of the trees. Feanor wanted to make jewels out of it. She said, no, fuck off, creep. And, to, and then Gimli... <laughs> Gimli asked very nicely. And he got And she three. gave it. And it was like a whole thing. He got three. Yeah. It was a whole thing. But anyway, the whole point of that, Galadriel thought Feanor was a wanker. And she's smart, so mm-hmm. she probably listened Let's to her. Cool. Let's go with that. And then the Thorn and S situation come about. And, yep, and Galadriel and all of that, they were like, S, S till we die, baby. S, 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 S. It's so petty, as we mentioned earlier, because it is actually said that the house of Benarfin, so Galadriel's father, they were actually using Thorn for different reasons than Feanor because he, uh, Fenarfin, married Arwen, who was one of the Teleri, and the Teleri were using Thorn. So Fenarfin, being a good husband, um, he just adopted Thorn. So it was a natural thing in their house. But Galadriel, hating Feanor so much, she was like, I'm going to say yes, just to spite him <laughs> and just to, you know, adopt what. The other Noldor were That's doing. That's painful. Have you ever been such a wanky you changed letters of the alphabet? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that is painful. No, I, I love Galadriel, you're a I dick. Do. Yeah, it, it's such like linguistics drama at its best. <laughs> it is petty as fuck, right? That, that if it was is, that is any... a dick move. That is like our. <laughs> That is like friggin' what the who the hell is leading our country right now? What's he called? Rishi Sunak. Right, that is like Rishi Sunak. I 
I don't know who the hell's leading our country right now. Uh, That's for, like sorry, Rishi Sunak. For international listeners, it's because the UK has had a spate of unelected leaders. And they're just, they're just fucking idiots, right? Mm. Excuse my language. Um, that's like him saying, right, um, we're not going to pronounce the letter F, okay? So when you're going to say Feanor, you're just going to say Eanor, okay? <laughs> and you've got to just deal with it because that is the law now. And if you say the letter F for fire, you just got to say Aya. If you pronounce it, we're going to arrest you and put you in prison. Oh, like, that would be the dead. reason for, for this. For God's sake! <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that linguistics drama uh, is it's amazing. fascinating, funny, amazing. But also, to kind of wrap it up, one of the many reasons that I think contributes to, you know, Werner's uh, oath and his deeds. Uh, which brings brings me back to say that I do not defend his actions such as kinsling and burning of the ships. Those are unforgivable. But I do love to explore all those just different reasons, you know, behind it. Such as even that thorn. It's incredible. It is, it is amazing. It really is that. That's, and that's how closely Tolkien was tied. Like, that's... Did you know he was a philologist? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so th- that's how closely tied with the philology all of his stories were. Mm-hmm. Is that the language really did yeah. provide a framework for, like, the stories? Sorry, were just a framework for the language to play around. So, what one? A couple more things. I've got two more questions I'd like to pose to both of you, and then we'll kind of we'll we'll come to a verdict on Feanor. So the first one is right. So my my view with this, Feanor's mum, Muriel. Mm-hmm. She, Thurinda, she was the first elf to die in Amma. Mm-hmm. Like she was the first one to, to give up her life, right? And she specifically, specifically said, this is because of how much energy went into bearing Feanor. Do we think that Feanor growing up knowing that his mom gave up her life because of the energy it took to bear him... Mm-hmm contributed to how he turned out that there was some kind of misplaced guilt that this poor kid felt all of his life and never expressed because his dad was the king perhaps and he, he didn't feel like he could mm-hmm. but he, he felt responsible for his mum being the first person to die right in their country it's never stated by talking but i would agree because also in the shibboleth actually it said that fernor um, whenever Finwë, you know, takes uh, another wife, he is devastated for the very reason that he knows that that means that he will never see, you know, his mother. That now her any chance of, you know, coming back to life uh, impossible, right? So he can only meet her possibly in Mandos when he himself dies. So he's devastated about it, and he kind of becomes incredibly angsty about it. But that makes me think that you know the fact that he gets so obsessed about it so much anger can be yeah can can actually hide this other reason as you just said that he might feel guilty himself as i feel like that's what often happens in real life when you kind of can't deal with something you can't go to therapy you know to talk through it you sort of pour your emotions into something else and and you know i think that maybe that that's what happened and and that is one of the the times where I feel the most like I, 
Do you know, contra- I'm not going to say it's a skill, but one of the things I'm used to doing is regardless of my actual personal feelings on a subject, I'll argue another viewpoint just for the, mm-hmm. just to, to improve my own understanding. Contrary to, to what's been said, uh, I can simultaneously hold a lot of pity and understanding for Feyenoord mm-hmm. as well as thinking he's an arsehole, but I read my heart does ache for the poor lad. Like, even though he'd be thousands of years older than me, looking at him, and it's like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, looking at him like a child who has suffered some stuff to do with his parents. Like, my, my heart goes, really does go out to him. Mm-hmm. Well, Becca, what, what do you think on the subject about his mum dying? Do you think that could be any displaced feelings there? So, my personal beliefs is that his mum really, as far as he's aware, his mum really wanted him. She poured her life and soul into that child and she perished and that's normal a lot of mums go through that they die and and ultimately their child survives and that child has to bear the weight of carrying on their mother's legacy almost and I feel like Feanor is carrying on his mother's legacy. Uh-huh. He didn't know her, but he has got a preconceived idea of her. His dad will have reflected on what the type of person that his mother was. Uh-huh. He would say, she's strong, she's mighty, she believed in, you know, the the best. Because you you also, regardless of the type of person that you lose, you always think the best of them. Yeah. So he would reflect that in his tribute to her. So Feanor would have grown up to believe that his mother was the perfect person, the one who believed in the best. She wanted the best for everyone. Uh She was a true person. And he would want to bring that forward in her legacy. And that is why he strongly believes, even in grammatically like pronouncing her name, he wants to carry on that tribute because that is someone who has brought him into the world. And that is absolutely beautiful to yeah. me. Yeah. Think a to big, me, that's yeah. beautiful. I think a big part of it's it's like survivor's guilt as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it, what we'd call survivor's guilt. In... She sacrificed. She sacrificed herself for her child, and ultimately, as a mom, you've carried that child for nine. Oh, elves nine... carry. Yeah, elves carry him for a long time. Okay, so they've carried that child for a long time. They identify with that child. They know how that child feels. They they would sacrifice anything for their child to survive over them. So and I I would sacrifice myself over my child. Mm-hmm. Even though we had the discussion of would you save the child over me? Mm-hmm. And and honestly, you you choose the child. Mm. You really do. Yeah, I mean and yeah, it, it's kind of the same as that. Like she specifically said, Muriel said, like uh, all the the energy that would have went into bearing fucking several kids went into him. Mm-hmm. 
And then Faye, and, and we've discussed before, Faye and I absolutely flexed she by poured, then. She poured, she poured oh, yeah, her she, entire her cruelty, soul into her malice and her will to dominate all life. Yeah. And that oh, is wait, what... Wrong, wrong person, sorry. <laughs> wrong, wrong forging. <laughs> but that is what made him right. the beautiful person that he he became and the powerful person that he became because he had someone's life poured into him. Yeah. Her life w- was diminished. It yeah, was well, poured into him. Well, his name literally means like spirit of fire, but uh, no, thank you. So, I've got one... <laughs> no, I've got very two quite quick questions here. Right. First one, you and everyone can answer this one. Right. First one. Let's have a look at Aule, the Valor. He's got three pupils mm-hmm. who've turned to the dark side. Uh-oh. Sauron. Saruman, uh-huh. Feanor. What do we reckon? Is it something to do with Aule? Should he look at his hiring policy? I don't think it says necessarily that Aule is a bad, you know, um, teacher. I don't think so. Because one of his pupils, you know, was uh, Nerdano's father. M- Matan, however you pronounce that. Um... Which actually, Aule, during the whole rebellion of the Noldor, he goes to, to her father and he tells him that, hey, do not do this because that will end in a uh, tragedy for everyone. Yeah, that's why Nerdinol stays behind, yeah. isn't it? It's because Aule wants her dad. See, so he, he can be a good teacher. He can be a good guardian, kind of, you know, supervisor. Um, <laughs> let's call him that. Uh, so I don't think it's his fault. Maybe it's the fact that his pupils are the ones who are the most ambitious, who want to create things of their own and and have never have enough, you know? Always want yeah, something I, more. I, so actually, I'll hold my thoughts until Becca's answered. So, Becca, what what do you think? Aule had three students who went on to become the three bastards. <laughs> okay, let, so let's just imagine that those three students passed the test of the the person that kind of filtered them to him. Right, so, are you drunk? <laughs> Sa- no, 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 no. Sauron, no, Saruman, no, no. Feanor. Right, three people who went awry, who were students of Aule. Do you think it's Aule's hiring policy or Aule's no. influence? No, I, I don't want to believe that in him. He gave them the tools yes. and they ultimately made their own decision mm-hmm. on how they wanted to to use the tools that he gave them. No way. It's not the teacher. Oh. It is the pupil. I agree. Very well put. Yep. All right. Yeah. I dig it. I think that's probably the most convincing thing I've heard. My opinion. Shut up. No, no. Everything I'm... I say is convincing. <laughs> right, your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> My opinion is... Aule is specifically described as the closest in power to Morgoth with the key distinction Mm -hmm. being that Aule doesn't kind of um, he doesn't like seek mad recognition for his work. He just likes to create for the sake of creating and that's where Morgoth falls down is that Morgoth wants to he wants to be. He wants to be envied. He wants to be recognised for his work. So I think that Aule is failing, if any, 
is that he doesn't emphasize the humility enough to everybody else that he himself holds because Aule specifically enjoys creating for the sake of it and in the conversation he has with Eru in the hour when the dwarves are made he says is the child to blame for emulating their father and Eru was like oh I guess not and the dwarves come (laughs) of that yeah let's just say right you've got some crazy ass mother effer who doesn't have any intelligence who creates children just willy nilly bareback it just sounds disastrous no that is not a good excuse you've got to lead no, the, no. That's oh. the thing is that like, we went over it in our ep- the origin of the dwarves episodes. Like Aule, he had the best intentions. Like he really did. He did, but he liked procreating. No, he made them out of clay. Out of clay, <laughs> oh. he liked making clay models of children. Right, and no, let's dwarves. just say he um he he didn't make the best of the best. I will not suffer dwarf slander. Right, I've got one last que- I've got one last question. The one ring. Would Feanor be tempted? I'll go first this time. Right. I don't think he would. For the simple reason that I think Feanor would look at it and find it inferior to something he would create. Ah. And for that reason, I don't think he'd be very tempted by the ring. He'd be like, what is this shit? Shit. What he'd be like? Do you know when Gordon Ramsay gets presented when? Do you know like on the um, the very first episode of like a Kitchen Nightmares series where they've all got to cook for Gordon Ramsay and he like he's like, what is this? And he starts like throwing it in the bin. Right. I think in that (laughs) instance, Feanor would be Gordon Ramsay. I think I agree because I believe we have definitely one uh, example of Feanor seeing through Morgoth in the text, right when he shuts the gate in his face. That's the first thing, when he was yes. almost tempted, but he, he still, you know, recognized that. And the second example, I would say, which is kind of between the pages that we talked about it in the book club, whenever Feanor dies, he goes straight to Mandus, right? He technically has an ability to refuse the summon of Mandus if he has some, like, unresolved stuff going on, anger, jealousy, rage, everything that he does, right? All the collection. He still goes straight to Mandus, and we talked about it with Chris, that he would never, he, he, he had enough knowledge and wisdom, he would never expose his fear to Morgoth like that because he would be aware that Morgoth could use it against him. So he just recognizes, okay, I'm done, I'm done, goodbye. So that's why I think because of those two examples that yes, I agree with you, Chris, that he still um, would see, you know, against this temptation of the power that he craves, but still he would be able to resist it. What about you? What do you think? I would mirror the same thing um, entirely that he would be able to create something magnificent because he is such a smith. He can create. No, no, I'll tell you. Finish your, finish your thought. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Well, no, finish your thought and then I'll tell you. I've just had a really funny scene in my head. Right. So, he can create anything that... Honestly, if you have that vision, you have that drive, 
And once you have the skills to project that drive into something that you want to create and you're at the peak of your creation, you can make whatever the hell you want Mm -hmm. to make. And I feel like he is at the point, he is at the peak. Yeah. He has made the Silmarils. He can make whatever the hell he wants to make. He is the ultimate creator. And Eru, yeah, Eru is the person that controls the whole world. But Feanor is is the ultimate creator. He is the one that can, can create whatever the hell he wants to do because he has the drive, he has the vision, he plans, he is the overthinker, right? And the overthinker is ultimately, sometimes it doesn't work, but the overthinker sometimes is the best person you need and he will create the best of the best and I think I I totally think I totally believe in Fainor. Sorry Sar- sorry Sauron. <laughs> You're just not having your hot girl summer. This just drop you fucking weirdo. <laughs> no, right, so I was laughing earlier when you were talking as I was imagining Feanor getting all the way to Mount Doom with the One Ring and getting to the end of it and getting into that chamber in Oridruin and unmaking the ring and then putting a ladle into the lava and be like, finally, I'm forging into something that's fucking worth <laughs> <He would>. it. <laughs> <laughs> just, while, what while a load of bullshit this shirt. is. No shirt. <laughs> no shirt. Shirts are for the skillless. <laughs> right. So... So that that was Feanor. I one word answer I want from everyone. No, <laughs> no, you can't have a one you word can't, answer. You cannot. Right. That's the thing. You can't give me. You've got strong women. I, I, I want. On this. I want a. I want a one sentence summary on where you currently stand on Feanor after this conversation. Rebecca, go. One sentence. A beautiful person <laughs> who wants the best for his people. Thank you. Alex? A beautiful person. <laughs> Sorry. He is <laughs> a beautiful person who, due to a number of very complex circumstances, going way before he was born, he falls. And he is also one of those reasons. He himself for the fall. I love him. I think that sentence had quite a few commas, but I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> I, I can't give you a simple simple answer, you know, on him. That's the thing about Feanor. Right, my one sentence summary on Feanor. He's a wanker. Don't be a dick. Wait, no, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be a dick, man. No, shut the fuck Whoa. <laughs> let, me give me a one, let me give him a one sentence answer. Right, okay, I've got it. A proper twat, but I get it. Ah, good, good one, good one, good one. So that was Feanor. That was it. So let's, before we wrap up, Alex, we're currently reading the the, the Fall of Numenor, mm-hmm. which I'll happily admit, the Second Age of Middle-earth is actually my weakest point in the law. I know relatively little compared to the, the First Age and, and all of the things prior, probably my strongest suit. The Third Age comes in a, a distant second. But the Second Age... 
is actually the, the area I know the least about. So I'm very excited about this, and I've been racing through the book. Right. So, Alex, if we want to, if someone wanted to join in the book club, mm-hmm. uh, what what would you expect from them? What are we up to, uh, and how can they reach us? They can reach us through a number of ways at this point. They can go to my Instagram, which is pointed-eared. I have a link in my bio and link in my stories. They can reach out to you, Chris. You have an ability to uh, generate an invite link. So basically, come to any of us. We'll give you a link, and you are more than welcome. In our book club, you can expect, of course, read-alongs, but you do not have to take part in them. We have a number of channels where we chat about all things Tolkien and not only talking because we've become such a tight community that now we just want to chat about our daily lives, our pets, nature, languages, all sorts of things, which is very beautiful. You can also expect uh, some other events that I definitely do want to come back to one specific event that we have, which is multilingual reading of talking passages, because I think that's like where the heart of our book club lies, really. That's how it all began uh, to celebrate, you know, the... Uh, number of cultures, number of countries and languages that we have in our community. Um, I think that's what Tolkien would have wanted if I maybe, you know, <laughs> uh, if I dare say so, uh, to just celebrate those languages that we have. Uh, you can expect a number of uh, lovely, helpful, kind people, new friends through Middle-earth. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, so in the episode description... There will be a link to Alex's Instagram. There will also be a link to the Fellowship of Readers Discord, as well as the usual link tree, which will be all the ways you can get in touch with the actual show. So, as we come to the end, I want to say a massive thank you to Rebecca, and thank you for the the lovely summary at the beginning. Thank you for all the gin you drank and the looseness of your tongue this episode has been fantastic it's been ages since we actually got you in front of the mic now it won't seem that long because of the episode schedule but it's actually been about six weeks since Becca recorded an episode um so it's been interesting but the main thank you goes to alex our lovely and first guest on the show thank it's you went thank fantastically you for me. that was amazing i hope you've had a great uh, experience yeah talking no, I had to a us. Great- great time are you kidding me and some you know chatting to talking nerds about Feanor <laughs> that's the best the best and I am also happy that I was able to be you know in the episode when Becca came back that that's really <laughs> a great opportunity. yeah it's a, it's a new year start but no thank you so much for coming so as you come at the end of the episode Look out in the next couple of weeks after you hear this. We're going to cover some commerce in Middle-earth, like how were things paid for. Ridiculously mundane, as I've mentioned before. Even the elves grew crops, which I was very disappointed about. (laughs) Then we're going to look at the origins of humans at some point. Going to do a couple of Drunk Talk episodes sprinkled here and there when the schedule allows. And who knows, maybe we'll get some more guests on in future. But yeah, that's it from me today. So thank you for listening. Come and support us however you can. So that's a goodbye from me, Chris. Goodbye from Rebecca, who's very drunk. Goodbye from Alex. (laughs) Bye, everyone.